0: The life of one man changed the world, didn't it? But the question that that, uh, the video asks of us is a good one, I think, and that is, was he just a man? We know that answer, don't we? He was more than a man. He was the God-man. He was God with us, God in the flesh. Not only that, the writer of Hebrews calls him the author and perfecter of our faith, Right? And Colossians says that everything that is is because of him. It's created by him and in him and through him. All things were made, it says. He's more than a man. He's a creator. And as creator, as he created everything, including us, don't we think that he knows the best way for us to live? I mean, don't we think... He has a plan for how this life is supposed to work. I think he does. And we need to trust him. Look in your Bibles with me this morning at uh, John 10 and verse 10. This is one of my favorite verses. A short little segment this morning we're going to look at. It says this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they, may, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The thief, the enemy, Satan. It says he only comes, his only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all all he's good for, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus turns that on his head and he said, but I, I've come to bring life and life more abundantly, right? I've got a question for you this morning, and I want us to kind of think through this question. I want you to ask your souls this question very seriously. Do you have life? Do you have life? See, I'm not asking, do you have a heartbeat? I'm not asking, does breath come into your lungs and out of your lungs? I'm not asking if you're alive. I'm asking this question, do you have life? They're different. There have been many people who have been alive yet have never lived. See, the question I'm asking is more do you have this deep, abiding joy? Do you have satisfaction in your soul? Do you have contentment and peace in your heart? Because those are the measures of real, true, abundant life. This world would tell us go travel. Right? There's a truck commercial out right now that drives me crazy because it basically, it's like they just took all these uh, statements from the enemy's playbook. The voiceover comes on, there's this beautiful, it's a beautiful truck, I'll give them that. But the truck comes on and the voiceover says, don't you deserve this, right? Aren't you the best of the best? Aren't you the top of the ladder? Don't you? It speaks to all these things that the world throws at us that we, we have to struggle with, that we think are important. But don't we know that those things don't give us life? That's the lie of the enemy, right? Life is deeper. It's more satisfying. It's an abundant life in Jesus. Grace Hansen said this, don't be afraid that your life will end. Be afraid that it will never begin. Or Mark Twain said this, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things that you did. But you see, an adventurous life without Christ, an adventurous life with money or fame even, without Christ could never compare. It could never touch the life that we can have, the abundant life that we can have in Jesus, can it? Unbelievable, you talk about adventure, just follow Jesus. You wanna talk about adventure, just follow Jesus, in fact, one of my heroes of the faith, he's an amazing man. He was martyred for his faith and for his heart to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jim Elliott, he said this. He had the, la- the last thing he had was an ordinary life. He said this, forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Our lives need to be full of abundant life, and yet the church doesn't always exemplify that, do we? Even as Christ followers, even as people of the faith, people who know Jesus, don't we settle for so much less? I know I do all the time. And I want to remind you this morning that we don't have to. We don't have to settle for less. God has got an unbelievable story he is writing and he's written us into it. All we have to do is find our place. All we have to do is surrender to what his will is for us and we have to get busy let's get to work let's do what he wants us to do right I, one of my favorite authors favorite writers and honestly one of my favorite quotes ever is from c.s lewis in his message uh, book of several messages called the weight of glory i want to read it for you this morning it's on the screen it says it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we're half-hearted creatures Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. He says there are children playing in a slum in the mud because they they don't know about the sea. They don't know about the glory and the grandeur of standing on the beach when the wind just hits you and the sound overwhelms you and the waves crash upon you. Does that compare to making mud pies in a slum? No. And it makes me sad to think that there are even people that that don't know that that exists, but that's exactly what happens in the church. We live this mundane life and we trudge from day to day and we don't tap in to the joy and the peace and the life that he has for us. It's my heart's cry and prayer that in this series, together, we as a church can find what it means to have life and have it more abundantly. How do we find something more than travel, more than adventure, more than experiences, more than money? Because listen, that's not enough. How many famous people do we know? that had all those things, and they committed suicide, or they've been unhappy, they've been depressed, they've been, even in the church, people who struggle with those same things. How can we experience a life in Christ abundantly? I think this is how. I'm going to give you a few points. This is the first one. I think we have to ask the creator of this life, (laughs) how do we do this? What, what is this abundant life that you talk about, right? We have to follow his instruction manual. Somebody uh, came up with this goofy, it's kind of goofy, but it also is kind of neat, little acronym for the Bible, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth. You ever heard that before? God has got an instruction manual. It's the Bible. Now, uh, guys, I want you to be real honest with me real quick, okay? Men, how many of you get a new uh, tool, Or something we'll call it a tool it might be a toy or we we're putting together something right it comes out of a box there's an instruction manual and if you're like me who needs an instruction manual I mean come on right we're men we've got this and so you kind of throw the instructions you're laughing because your husbands have done this haven't they ladies they throw the instruction manual over their shoulder and they get to work and then we sit back and look at the glory of the thing we've built and somehow it works It doesn't matter that there's 20 screws and washers and nuts and bolts that are not in this unit, but it's working, so let's go with it, right? I mean, that's the way I typically do it. Honey, that's what they do in China. They give you lots of extra bolts and parts. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. We don't follow instructions to put things together, much less the instructions on how they're supposed to operate to the best of their ability. You know what I mean? In the instruction book that it says, hey, make sure you use this kind of fuel, this kind of oil. Make sure it spins this way. Make sure you tighten this thing only this far. We don't look at that stuff. And you know what? We don't look at that kind of thing in God's Word either. We don't follow this instruction manual. We don't do it. But let me ask this question. Don't we think the, the creator of life would know how to best direct our lives for the best possible existence? Doesn't that just make sense? He knows how to give us the most optimal joy and peace if we follow him, if we trust him. I I know so many people. I know so many people who are struggling today. I know so many people who are dying today with depression and alcoholism or drug abuse or other addictions they're struggling, they're dying, they're depressed, they're unhappy. And I just want to say, would you just give God's way a try? I mean, look at what your way has gotten. I mean, isn't it worth a try? I was, we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking about the people in Scripture who were so tired of their existence, right? The woman with the issue of blood, she was so tired. She just said, God, if I could just come up, if I could just... If I could just reach through the crowd and if I could just grab your rope, I know you can change my life. Where I think about the, the soldier who just came to Jesus and said, you don't even have to come to my home. Just speak it, Lord, and it'll be. Some of us need to try God's way instead of our way. Or if we continue to do the same things the same ways, it's the definition of What? insanity, and yet we wonder why we feel crazy and why things aren't changing. Do we think God wants to withhold good things from us? I don't think we would say that, but wasn't that one of the lies of the enemy in the, in the garden? God, he just doesn't want, you, he doesn't want you to have it all. If you become like God, then uh, that's, you know, and so I think that is filtered down into part of, uh, part of our uh, sin nature. We somehow would, we might not speak it or say it, but for some reason we might say, God, it just feels like you don't want the best for me. I'll just go my own way. It's a lie of the enemy. Listen, I'm a father. There's nothing greater than giving my children good gifts. I, I love it. And yet scripture says, how much more does our heavenly father love to give his children good gifts? And he's given us his word. He's given us life if we'll just follow it and seek it. This is the second point. We have to become disciples of Jesus. We have to. So what does that mean? A lot of churches say it. The word disciple just means learner. It means follower. It means we're growing, okay? We're, we're, we're going from this point to that point. We have to learn what it means to, to have an intentionality, what it means to have abundant life in Jesus, right? So many people think they just, if you can just get your ticket, punched right if I just get saved well there I go I'm good to go how many people in the church not just this church the big C church just think well I, I, I came to know the Lord at an early age and I, I'll show up at Easter I may come at Christmas but I, I'm a Christian I believe listen let me tell you what that kind of mindset is that's like going to a, a university and saying, hey I want a, I want a college degree I can't wait I'm very excited about the degree And they say, okay, register. So you register for school. You're very excited. You're now a student at this university. You go home and you sit around for a couple of months. You never go to class, ever. And you're like, I've been a student for two months and they haven't sent me my diploma. What's the problem? You call, where's the diploma? What are they gonna say? What? What are you talking about? You've gotta put the work in. This is the next four or five years of your life. You're going to work for this if you're going to get it, right? It's the same thing. We think we can just register with the church or with God, and all of a sudden, we're a disciple. A disciple means we learn and we grow. We've talked quite a bit in the last several months about the Great Commission, Jesus. And I want us to look at it again. It is the why of the church, right? It's it's why we do what we do. But I want us to focus on verse 20. Uh, today. We haven't looked at that section. I want to read it and look at that one section. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want us to pay attention to. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, yes, for people to come to know me as Savior is important. We want that. And then when that happens, let's baptize them. Praise God. And we love to baptize people, right? But let me tell you where the church falls down, where we're not following through. Verse 20, we are not teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And as believers, we're not seeking to learn. And so it's kind of like registering for school and expecting a diploma instead of putting the work in. Let me just tell you something. If your experience with Jesus is just that you know him as Savior and you have no other life in him. Occasionally I go to church. Occasionally I do this or that. Listen, salvation is the first page of the first chapter of this book, of the story that God wants to teach you about himself. It's the very first thing we can do. There's so much more. It's the preface. It's not even the first page of the life that he wants to give us. So much more. But let me me tell you what happens. So many people in the church rely just on that ticket being punched and not going deeper, not going further, not learning more. And let me tell you what's happened to the church because of it. The church is now underdeveloped, impotent, and ineffective for the kingdom of God. That's the truth. We wonder why we're not making a difference in the country. We wonder why uh, things aren't happening in our community. It's because we got our ticket punched and we've been waiting on a diploma that we didn't work for. We've got to dig in, church. I just I, I ask you this question, South City Church. Can you imagine if we became fully developed, mature disciples of Jesus? Would you just think about that for a second? If together we became mature, fully developed disciples of Jesus, what would that look like? I'll tell you. We would change the world. That's what we would do. It would be so unbelievable. It would just change our lives and our families and our legacy of our families. It would change our church. It would change our community. It would change our city. And I think it would change the world. So let's just focus on us for a little bit. And become who he wants us to be. Can we do that? Anybody with me this morning? Let's do that. Let's do that together. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. This is very, um, I'm being very serious when I say this. We're in this new series called Life. We're going to talk about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. And as we do, would you make a commitment to be with us? Would you, would you make a commitment to be with us for the next 12 weeks? I'm being very serious. Your attendance here is very important. You learning these disciplines is very important. And I I promise you this. I promise, if you will apply these disciplines to your life, you will never be the same. If you will do the things we talk about over the next 12 weeks, you your relationship with Jesus will never be the same. You will go deeper than you've ever gone in your entire life. I promise you. I dare you. I double dog dare you for some of you old timers like me. Anybody, anybody said double dog dare you, you had to do the dare, right? So there you go. Hey, listen, this series has been informed by this wonderful book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. We have a few copies back there on the back table. It's written by a man by the name of Dallas Willard and he, it's a phenomenal book. It's not an easy read. This is uh, it's a pretty deep book. And if you want to track with some of the things we're saying, we're not preaching from this book, but it is informing some of the conversation about disciplines, then we've got those available back there for you, okay? They're 10 bucks. You can give it to Paige or put it in an offering plate or whatever, and uh, you can walk with us through that. Now, um, here's the next point. Abiding in Christ is not natural for us, okay? Abiding in Christ. What does it mean to abide? If you've been married very long, you have done the work of abiding, most likely. I mean, if you just live your own way and do your own thing, you probably won't stay married. Abiding is making the choice to stay connected. Abiding is doing the work to be together through thick and thin, right? But listen, it does not come naturally to us. Abiding is not a natural thing for us, not at all. And I'll write this down if you're taking notes. It takes constant effort by creating effective habits that remind us of whose we are and who we are. I'm gonna say it again: abiding in Christ is not natural for us. It takes constant effort by creating effective habits that remind us of whose we are and who we are. Some people refer to these things as practices, and yes, I'm gonna say it, the D-word discipline. I shudder when I say that word. I am not very good at discipline. I'm just my confession this morning, okay? I, I struggle with discipline. I don't know if it's my personality or whatever it is. I struggle with it. How many runners do we have in the house this morning? Run, run Yeah, yeah, Miss Pam. One, two. Or how about cyclists or people who go to the gym? A few, okay. People who eat healthy most of the time? What is wrong with you people? So here's the deal. Uh, for those who raised your hands, good for you guys. We need to be more like you, right? We need to be a little, church, I think we need to be a little bit more disciplined. This is a good, uh, good series to be in here. See, I grew up in the 70s with a show. You remember the show, I Dream of Genie? Man, I love that show. I thought that guy had the best life. He's an astronaut and he's got a genie. Hello, what more can you ask for? Anything he wanted, remember, he would ask for it, and she would just do a little, ding, 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 ding. I can't do the nose thing, but she just wiggle her nose, and it would happen. That's my kind of style of getting things done, right? I'm in shape, bam, skinny. Or uh, I have enough money for retirement, bam. Or I can speak Spanish fluently, bam. That, we live in a culture that wants things right now, Right? I mean immediate, that immediately is too slow. Let's get this thing done. I want to know it. I want to live it. I want to be it right now. But you know what? That's not real, is it? Anything that's worth something is going to cost you something. That is the whole idea of discipleship. Discipleship is doing the thing you don't want to do right now so that you can live the life you want to live later. Discipleship is doing the thing you don't want to do. I don't want to go to small group tonight. I'm tired. I've been working. You know, things at work have been difficult. I don't want to get up 30 minutes early and have a quiet time. I, I, I don't want to fast. I don't, I don't want to worship today. I just don't feel like I. Listen, discipleship is doing the thing you might not want to do so that you can live the life you want to live later. It's delayed gratification. And it's the only way you'll get from here to there. My little girl, Daisy, she's she's very talented. She plays ukulele. I've been teaching her how to play ukulele. I remember I was teaching her this chord on ukulele, and she wanted to see how to play it. So I put her fingers on the fretboard, you know, and she tried to, and it sounded awful. And I mean, without a hesitation, she throws her head back into the couch and goes, "Ah, I'll never get it. I'm like, you just tried. you like this is the first time you put your fingers on the thing. That, you know, that, it's that instant gratification. If I can't get it the first time, I'll just give up. And it reminded me of me <laughs> and us. We want things now, but listen, godliness, listen, godliness doesn't happen overnight and it sure won't happen by accident. Did you hear me? Godliness won't happen overnight, and it will not happen by accident. It won't happen by osmosis. Right? It won't happen. I've got a Bible near me as I go to sleep, and maybe the Lord. mm -mm. Andy Stanley. he says uh, that discipline always results in progress, even if you have a bad attitude about it, which I think is kind of (laughs) cool. You can get up in the morning 30 minutes early and not be happy about it, but if you'll be faithful to that discipline, it'll have progress in your life. Godliness doesn't happen overnight or by accident. You know, I like to think about it like this. they are guardrails in our lives because, listen, we will go astray. We will fall off. We will forget God. We will go the other way, and disciplines... In our lives are the guardrails in our lives. It might have even been a better title for the series, I don't know. But basically, when we start to go off, the guardrails keep us in, and it redirects us back to Jesus. That's what a discipline does. That's what people who love you do. They redirect you back to the one that matters, right? I love hymns. Y'all know I love hymns, and one of my favorite songs is uh, Come Now Fount. Love. We sang it last week. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I love that lyric. I love it because it's so honest and it's so me and it's so you. We are prone to leave. We're prone to walk away. And we still love him. But we're still prone to leave. We're prone to, to, to do, go the opposite direction that we're supposed to. And so the next phrase says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above, right? What is sealing it in a life in Christ? It's disciplines. Lord, give me disciplines that will seal my heart and prepare me, make me a godly person, For your courts above, let's look at scripture. This is this was Moses' uh, admonition to the Israelites in Deuteronomy six and verse four. He said, "This, hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today, watch this, shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house." And when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Do you think Moses understands that we're prone to wonder? Do you think he's trying to teach the Israelites something about the fact that we forget God? He said 10 different ways how to remember the Shema, which is... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. It's so important. Write it everywhere. Create disciplines. Create boundaries that will redirect your life when you begin to forget back to the only one that matters. The Israelites needed it. Don't you think we do? We need it. And yet we don't put these in our lives. The great uh, 18th century preacher Jonathan Edwards he came up with 70, um, what did he call them, resolutions. 70 resolutions that he would read through every week. They were, his, they were his guard posts. They were his guide rails. He would read through those and he would try to stay in, within those every week. The great scientist, mathematician, uh, Blaise Pascal of the 17th century. When he died, they found in his coat, sewn into his coat, prayers and, and phrases about his faith. In Jesus and his love for God, his commitment to God. It was sewn into his coat in such a way that when he closed his coat, he would lay over his heart. You see, Pascal knew God would never forget him. But he would forget God. It's what we do. We forget. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4-7, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. What's Paul saying? This is on you, Timothy. This is on you. Discipline yourself so that you can become godly. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not just punching a ticket. It's doing the work. It's putting the time in. It's being a disciple and learning. Spiritual disciplines, they are the path, okay? Okay. You want to ask this question, how do we find life? How do we become mature believers in Jesus? Spiritual disciplines. And I'll say this, listen. Just because you practice spiritual disciplines doesn't mean you're a godly person. Watch this. Anybody can practice spiritual disciplines, and you know what? It'll bless their lives, but they won't necessarily be a godly person. But I will say this. If today you're sitting in here or you know someone who is a godly person, they love Jesus, they live Jesus They they are Jesus with skin on, people say. It's because they have spiritual disciplines in their life, period. This is the pathway to godliness. Spiritual discipline is something you do. It's not something you are. You see, the doing leads to being. John 14, 21 says this. Whoever has my commands and keeps, keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I love this verse. When I was a young believer, I loved this verse. Some of your translations may say, instead of manifest, may say, and I will show myself to him. I just love the idea that if I could just be obedient to Christ then not only will I be loved by Jesus and the Father, but he will show himself to me. I just was captivated by this. And this even goes deeper and says, I will manifest. It'll be bigger than what you see. I'll manifest myself to you. This is is what that's saying. Listen. How we respond to God will determine how we experience him. you hear me? How we respond to God will determine how we experience him. In other words... We have to be obedient in order for him to manifest himself to us. Right? This, this writer of a book, I'm reading this book in this series called Union with Christ. It's a great book. Uh, Rankin Wilburn is, is the writer's name. He says, we will know God better by obeying him more. We will know God better by obeying him more. Listen, over the next three months, we're going to discuss these, these uh, disciplines, and this book breaks those disciplines down into three categories. There are internal disciplines. In other words, in my life, in my prayer closet, internally in my own soul, there are some disciplines that I want to apply to my life. Then there are some external disciplines that I do with my life. And then there are corporate disciplines, and those can only be done together. And so we're going to break those down over the next 12 weeks. And this morning, just for the last few minutes, I want to break down the very first one, okay? I've kind of given you an overview for the need of discipline, and that is the only way for us to become godly people. Now I want us to look at the first one, okay? Y'all with me? (laughs) The first one is meditation. Now when I say that, some of your mind goes to some hippie somewhere with his legs crossed and his hands are on his knees going, no. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Okay? So don't do that, by the way. What I'm talking about is biblical meditation, okay? Eugene Peterson, who is the the writer, translator of uh, The Message, he says, meditating on God's word is like what a dog does with a big bone, right? By prayer and through the Holy Spirit, you gnaw on it, and you chew on God's word until it metabolizes and gets into your bloodstream, you take it in, and you expect it to nourish you. That's what biblical meditation is. Meditation is a biblical concept, and it's a biblical discipline. In, in the uh, NIV Bible, it speaks of meditation 29 times. And I wanted to just read a few of these favorite ones of mine. Psalm 19, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Or Psalm one nineteen ninety seven 97 says... Oh, how I love your law, it is my meditation all day. And these next two even extend what that means. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, uh, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. You want to be prosperous and have good success? Look at this. This is so good in my very favorite one. Psalm 1 verse 1. My favorite. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does... He prospers. Biblical meditation. What does the word mean? You know, in the Hebrew, the word meditation literally just means um, to speak or to mutter. Have you ever had like a spiritual thought or some kind of thought, and you just kind of, you just kind of keep saying it to yourself over and over, and you just kind of, you're not really making. Nobody can really hear you. You are just kind of saying, you kind of saying it over and over. That's meditation. And so what? the writers are saying here is when we meditate on scripture we're speaking to ourselves all day all night at different times I couldn't sleep this morning three o'clock I'd taken some vitamins before I went to bed three o'clock I was wide awake so I started meditating on scripture and I started praying it thinking through it praying for you praying for our day-to-day one of my favorite teachers Tim Keller he says that biblical meditation is neither Bible study or prayer. It's kind of somewhere in between. It's a third discipline in between Bible study and prayer. It's, it's sort of in between. We, we study the word, we know the word, we read the word, and then we just chew on it. We work it out. We deal with it. Kind of like, a, how many country folks we've got in here knows, know how cows eat? It's gross, isn't it? I told you I went on a cattle drive one time. Those are disgusting animals. But... They eat, and when they eat, their stomachs regurgitate the food, and they keep eating it, and they reg- swallow it and they bring it back. They keep doing this so that they can get every bit of nourishment out of that grass or that straw. That's the same thing we need to do with God's Word. Keep bringing it up. Keep chewing on it until it has its work done fully in us. Tim Keller gives us a, a three things to think about when we meditate on Scripture. He says to think out our theology, which means focus on a verse, a theme, a concept. Know what we believe in our minds. Think out our theology. The second thing he says, work out your theology. Speak to yourself, right? I think about the psalmist who said, why so downcast, oh, my soul? Lori sometimes says that to me when I'm in that place. She just kind of whispers it. She meditates for me. <laughs> hey, why so downcast, oh, my soul? Like, oh, yeah. He's asking himself, What's, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you walking through? What are you doing? And then he gives himself the solution. Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. It's speaking to yourself. It's working out your theology. It's asking questions like, how would I be different in my life if I took this theological truth in this scripture seriously? Or how would it change my attitude and my actions if I believed this thing from the bottom of my heart? That's meditation. And then lastly, he says, pray up your theology. Turn your thoughts about God to prayers to God. You might, you know, one of the things I was thinking through this message this morning, I love the thought that God will never love me more than he does and he'll never love me less it blows my mind that thought just kind of blows my mind it's something i chew over and then meditate on but how would that thought or that meditation look like in a prayer oh lord i don't know why you love me but you'll never love me more than you do right now you've always loved me you are a consistent god no matter how i've failed you no matter what i've done you love me and no matter what i do you'll never love me less thank you for your love You turn those thoughts about God into prayers to God. This morning on the back of your card, I didn't give you notes because I thought there was something more important that I could give you. On the back of your card, everybody have one of these? This is the reason I'm asking. If you don't have one, we hopefully have some in the back. Um, Here's the thing. Take this, put it in your Bible. We want to give you some tools over the next weeks to help you with these disciplines. This is a tool for biblical meditation. I wanna read the, the very top phrase that says this. Be still, become aware of God's loving presence and read a passage of scripture and then read it again, perhaps out loud. You may read it over and over until you notice how he might be speaking to you. Dwell on a word or a phrase or a theme that jumps out to you and ask yourself some questions and then you can read through these questions. Listen." i got a challenge for you this this morning, South City. Would you do that this week? Can we try this together? Can we do this this week? It might be a scripture that I've given you this morning. It might be something in your daily quiet time. Take this and let this be a filter that you apply that scripture to. And see if God doesn't give you some more understanding, some more insight to what he's trying to speak to you through that scripture. And then lastly, I want us to close this morning with a story. It's not my story. It's a story from Jesus. In fact, it's a parable of Jesus. And many of you are going to be familiar with it. It's the parable of the sower. Some people call it the parable of the soils. And you remember it's about a farmer or a gardener. And he's going to sow some seed. And so he has his seed, and it says that he begins to sow the seed along the road. And you know that along the road, it's hard, packed down because of uh, wheels or feet traffic. And so because of that, the seed doesn't sink into the soil. And so it says, Jesus says, the the birds come and eat the seed. And he basically says later as he's explaining this, he doesn't always explain parables. He explains this one. It's beautiful. He says, you know, that's kind of like when somebody preaches or somebody gives the word and, and it the word doesn't go into the hearts of the people. It just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It's kind of like the birds coming to get that seed, taking it and flying off. And then he says there's a second type of soil. It's when the farmer sows the seed into rocky soil. And there's not a whole lot of dirt. It's mostly rocks. And so what happens is that the the root won't take very well into these rocks. And so if the rain comes or if the wind comes or someone steps on it, that plant will die quickly. And Jesus says, that's kind of like somebody who doesn't have a good root in me and something comes along, persecution, a trial, and they they fall away. We all know people who've done that. And then he says there's a third soil. In fact, this morning I want us to look at number number three and number four of these soils and really look deeply, okay? The third soil you remember is he sows it among the thorns. Evidently decent soil. Because it gets root and it begins to grow, but it grows up with thorns and weeds. And those thorns and weeds choke out the life of that plant. And not necessarily the life, more it chokes out the productivity. In other words, there's a plant there, but it's wrapped up with weeds and thorns and it doesn't produce, which makes it just like it was dead. And then there's a fourth soil, good soil, Jesus talks about. Where the, pr- the fruit comes up, the plant comes up, and it, it, it makes a manifold uh, production, 30, 60, 100 fold, because of the good soil. I told you, I'm, uh, I'm kind of a wannabe gardener, right? I started my own little garden last year, and I had this guy bring in super soil. You ever heard of that? It's very fancy soil, evidently. I don't know, it looked like dirt to me. But it's supposed to be super packed with uh, some things. I'm not going to tell you what it's packed with. But it's got some fertilizer and some other stuff in it. It's supposed to make things grow really well, right? Well, sure enough, man, I put my plants in there. They shot up last year. And, did, and I was very eager. I was out there picking the weeds and doing the things. This year, I was kind of like, eh, I was kind of lazy, to be honest with you. And so a lot of my plants grew up with weeds. Now, my soil started off really super. It was awesome. But something happened. It began to get weeds and my my produce wasn't very good this year. It didn't it didn't it wasn't great. My point is this. I think the church today is like number 3. So many of us are like number 3. And I want to read from the word Mark 4:18. Jesus parable of number three the soil of number three here it is and others are the ones sown among the thorns they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful so many of us ask this question do you have life this morning And I hope you're truly asking your heart that that question. Do I have life? Because it's very possible that many of us have allowed weeds to grow up. And we're concerned so much about the cares of the world, what everybody's doing, what everybody thinks, right? Or the deceitfulness of riches. We have to have so much, we got to do that. Or there's just other things that are more important to us than Jesus is. So much of the church, we've allowed the weeds to grow up among what God wants to do in us. And you know what it's done? It's made us unfruitful. It's not that we're not growing, we're not that we're not a plant, completely dead. No, it's worse. It's that we're alive, but we don't have life. It's that we exist, but we're being choked out of fruitfulness. Church, it takes discipline discipline to pull the weeds, doesn't it? It takes discipline to turn the ground of our souls so that the truth of the Word of God will take root. It takes consistency. It takes routine. It takes ongoing maintenance to keep the weeds out of the soil of our lives. As I close, listen, I... I pray in this series that together we can discover what disciplines there are that we need so that we can truly, truly have life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to bring you life. And not just any life, abundant life. Do you have it? Do you want it? I do. I do, and I believe these disciplines will lead us there. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that we experience in him. God, thank you that you have sown this seed, and and you're even sowing it today as I speak. God, I pray that this seed is falling on good soil I pray that this seed is falling on hearts that are allowing the truth of who you are and your love for us to go deep into who we are and whose we are. God, I pray that as we know you as Savior, we wouldn't allow the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things to outweigh our desire, our commitment, our walk with you, but it happens, God. We are prone to wonder, prone to leave the God we love. So, Lord, I pray that many of us today would say, God, here's my heart. Here's my life. Here's my work. Here's my schedule. Here's my money. Here's everything that I am. Take and seal it with disciplines so that I can know you more. Give me guardrails in my life, God, so when I'm prone to wonder and I leave, these disciplines will redirect me to you. Because it is the only way to life. It is the only way to joy lasting. It is the only way to peace and contentment and satisfaction. It's only found in you. God, would you help us this morning? Would you help us to be honest so that when we worship just now, we can do so in spirit and in the truth of where our lives live right now? Would you forgive us of the thorns that we've allowed to come up? Would you forgive us of the weeds that are choking out your word and truth in us? And would you make us a fruitful people, God? God, would you make us a fruitful people? We don't want to just exist anymore. We want to produce the fruit that you have called us to 30, 60, 100 fold for your glory for your kingdom, that you be known all over the world, and it starts with us. May we dig into the truth of the disciplines you've called us to, to know you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In just a minute, we're going to ask you to stand, and and I'm just going to tell you this altar is going to be open. And if some of those thorns are in your life, and as I speak, you know, yeah, there's thorns in my life. I, I know they are. And I've allowed them. I've just welcomed those thorns right into who, my existence. This might be a place where you want to come and just pray. And say, God, help me to cut those things down, to pull those things up so that I can be reserved, so I can have good soil in my life, so that my greatest desire is you. I'm not concerned about the world or the seedfulness of riches. Or you may want to just stay in your, in your seat and pray and seek the Lord. Whatever it is, if we can be a blessing to you and pray with you, Jerry and I will be down here to pray with you. Let's seek the Lord and let's worship him in the spirit and truth. Can we do that this morning? Stand with us. Let's worship.